Hello, and welcome to the Escape Velocity podcast presented by Modern Wordshop. This is the show for aspiring career changers where we explore how to break through the inertia of the everyday. If you're looking for inspiration to tackle a new career, pick up a new hobby, or just choose to show up to the world in a more authentic and meaningful way, this is the podcast for you. I'm your host, Kevin Sawyer. Going to acupuncture school was actually when I really realized that I do things kind of not backwards, but I have the goal in mind. I don't really need to know the middle steps. I just need to know the goal. So welcome to the Escape Velocity podcast. I'm here with Sue Um, who has had probably one of the most interesting career change stories uh, of the guests that we've had so far. It is a multi-chapter story with a lot of twists and turns uh, and a lot of very interesting transitions. So before we get into the nuts and bolts, I'll, I'll, I'll let Sue just sort of narrate her story in her own words. So Sue, tell us how you got to where you are now from when you were 21 and you first moved to South Korea. Um, When I turned 21, I had just graduated from college. Um, I actually did not know what I wanted to do with my life. I was completely clueless, and I got into a huge fight with my parents. And I decided that I needed to go to Korea. So I actually borrowed money from a friend, and and I bought a plane ticket, and then I had $200 left over. So then I bought a Lonely Planet back then. You, we didn't have internet, so we, you, know, you bought books. So I bought a Lonely Planet, and I actually just took the flight to Korea with $200 in my pocket. And I hailed a cab at the airport, and I asked the guy, the cab driver, take me to this motel. And he was like, what are you doing here? Like, how old are you? What are you what's going on? So he actually took me to a motel next to a police station. And he just kept saying, the police station is right there. So I just need you to go there if you have any problems. And it was, a, it was a really good way to start my, you know, I guess my travels. And then I just started picking up the phone books and started calling English um, institutions, which there are plenty of that teach, you know, you can teach English um, as a second language. And I just got it within two weeks, I got a job, I started working. And that was how I became an English teacher for university students and corporate, corporate people. And then I met this guy, I fell in love. So my short stay in Korea ended up being 10 years. And in the midst of that, I just kind of felt like my brain was starting to atrophy and they were providing a free education for grad school. So I applied, I got accepted. So I got my master's there. I was offered an internship with UNH, UNHCR, which is the, um, the refugee agency of the UN. So I started working there as an intern And then they offered me a job with their local NGO, Lawyers for a Democratic Society. So I started actually doing the first initial assessment for asylum seekers coming into Korea. And then um, after 10 years, it seemed like um, I needed to come back to the States. And that's when I started working as a teacher for a leadership program for middle school students, learning leadership through the context of American history. I had a great time, but we were working like 12, 15 hours a day. And then I realized this is not a career. So, and I wanted to stay near my parents. I grew up in Maryland. So New York City seemed like a great compromise. And I went there again without a job, without any contacts. It just happened there was a career fair. And I walked in and I was like, oh, 
it's financial services and I'm like I know nothing about finances and I was like all right well this is this is my opportunity to kind of hone in my interviewing skills so I just went everywhere and they're like what would you like to do I said what do you need me to do and then we just started talking and I interviewed with a couple places and I actually got a part-time job as at an investment firm I really enjoy the job but I didn't love it I just felt like I was getting really old so this is my first nine to five and I just felt like I was trapped in this chair for no reason in this confined space. And I just felt like this is why people age because I felt really trapped. And then um, the financial crisis hit. I just felt like it was a good transition to maybe go into a little bit more retail. And at that point, another friend was like, oh, you know, Chase is hiring. I got the job. I became a banker at one of the in the Midtown branch. And then eventually I became a private client banker. I was happy enough, but I wasn't like satisfied. And then I had a huge emotional and personal change shift in my life. Actually, I bought a plane ticket to Korea. So I just bought this ticket and then I, and then I told my, my work. I went to Korea and then I went to Thailand for, to do this kind of detox retreat to kind of figure out what it is that I wanted to do with my life, what, what was going on with me. It was a lovely 16 days and then went to Laos and then I went to Australia and I, had, I did a nice three-month road trip meeting friends and family. And then I came back and again, I had no job. I, I knew I was going to apply to acupuncture school. So I knew that. And then I, but then I was just having lunch with one of my clients. She's like, oh, we need, we need somebody in the development team of our um, organization, which was the Urgent Action Fund for Women's. Um, human rights. It's, it was not the job that I was good at. That's what I learned. I'm like, oh, I'm not really good in an institutional style. You know, I'm better one on one. I was already going to school. And then so I actually just slowly transitioned into a full time student. And in December of last year, I graduated. And then in March of this year, I became licensed right in the midst of the pandemic. And now I am a licensed acupuncturist. So, sorry, I think that was more than five minutes. No, that's great. Um, what a what an amazing journey and truly a, a globe-trotting journey. You know, what I love about your story is that there are so many points where the decision came before having something set up in, in your next step. And I, I'm thinking of this phrase, you know, jump and the net will follow. So talk to me a little bit about just that philosophy of, of the decision coming before the, the net needing to be there? I think, I think a big part of it is that I am a child of immigrant parents. And, you know, my dad, he actually went to um, Vietnam in the 60s and started his own construction company. And then, you know, my grandfather wrote him a letter and said, you need to come home, I'm dying. So he rushes home and he's like, I'm not dying, you need to get married. So, and then so he actually just gave up his construction company in Vietnam and then he married my mom. One day we were, we were at the kitchen table and he's like, Sue, I don't want to be a big fish in a little pond. I want to be a little fish in a big pond. So then he came to the U.S. with, again, like, you know, it's a, it's a classic immigrant story. So many immigrants would say, I came to the U.S. with $25 in my pocket. I went to the U.S. with nothing. And he paved the road with that immigrant kind of resourcefulness. I think the other part was that 
because my parents were immigrants, you have to do 10 things with one thing. You're like, what can I do to make this happen with what I have? So you have to learn to be resourceful. And I think that was also something that you can't, you know, like you just learn it growing up. Yeah, I, I don't get a sense of any obvious false starts in your story. Um, you know, what is your kind of overall take on on the the path that got you to where you are today? You know, um, I think what was difficult was because I did not have a lot of self-confidence growing up. What really hit me hardest was when I wasn't good at things. So those like, I, I actually did a stint doing um, copy editing for a journal in Korea. I was terrible at it. You can't be good at everything. It, you just can't be too hard on yourself. I think that's the biggest thing. Like, it, it, give yourself a break. There are things you're not going to be good at, and you just, just don't, it, don't beat yourself up about it. I, I love what you were saying earlier when you were reflecting on the job at the financial services firm. Um, this is why people age. What are some of the other things that might be red flags for listeners of this podcast or just people in general? to be conscious of where even if the job is comfortable or you can bank on it or whatnot, like what are some, some other red flags that we should be looking out for to know that this, this should not be the long-term play and that maybe it's time to start looking for something that's a little bit more fulfilling or a little bit more life-giving instead of life-draining? I have a really interesting story. When I first started at Chase, I hated it because it was so sales-heavy and I hate sales. And I used to actually just wake up with this dread. I remember just waking up and be like, oh, if I roll over, I might hurt my arm and I can't go to work today. That's a huge red flag. I, it would like every morning I'd be like, oh, if I just roll over the wrong way, I would hurt. I, I wouldn't have to go to work. But I, I said, I, you know what? I'm going to do it my way for seven months. So for seven months, I just gritted my teeth and I just kind of did the work in a way that I thought, you know, was relationship building. And that actually really helped me kind of become who, the kind of person, the kind of banker I wanted to be. I think if you, if you wake up with a dread in your heart, that's really, and, or if you wake up and you're like, I don't feel right about this. But yeah, I would think waking up with dread and feeling like you're aged or you just, you have no energy, it, those are clear signs. When you were speaking about teaching leadership to middle schoolers, you mentioned having the insight that this was not a career. Um, talk to me about what drove you to that realization and what about the experience of that job led you to believe that it was not the long-term plan for you? Well, this was, it wasn't like I was teaching at a school. This was, was where kids are being shipped to D.C., and they were experiencing like being in the, you know, the nation's capital, going to the museums. We were on from like, I think, 7 a.m. to 10 p.m. when we were making sure that they were safe in their beds. It's just exhausting. It, there was no routine. Like I, I'm living in a hotel, which is nice because nobody, I, I never had to clean my, you know, I never had to do any cleaning or laundry for like a year. It was that, that part is very nice. Um, but it was, it just felt kind of transient. You said something else really interesting. I think it was in reference to when you were working at Chase. You made the distinction between being happy and being satisfied. 
talk to me about how those two experiences differ and how someone doing the work of self-reflecting can understand how to distinguish between those emotions. Oh, that's a very difficult. <laughs> I guess, you know, it's, it's very easy. I, I tend to be very positive for the most part. Um, I think it's very easy to be satisfied. Um, and I think for the most part, I can do anything and I'll be satisfied. So, but I wanted to do something that actually was going to be a part of me. I wanted my job to be a reflection of who I was and not a separate entity of who I was. So I think that maybe is where the happiness comes in. Mm-hmm. What's your outlook about the opportunity space for people who are perhaps considering or have been considering for a while a career change um, in the midst of the pandemic? And so obviously crushing unemployment, but if there is any silver lining, perhaps it's it's a moment to get jolted out of your complacency and, and, and maybe do that work to kind of separate, you know, satisfaction from happiness. So, you know, what's your personal take on how the job market and how people's priorities may or may not shift as we hopefully sort of climb to the better end of this pandemic? Um, I think the pandemic in for many Americans who are, I mean, not the Americans who are suffering financially and, and who are sick and, you know, but for, cause those that's, you know, that is tough. Um, but in a, in the way that it gives us downtime to actually, you know, I felt like I went into retirement for, you know, for a few months and it was just refreshing. Because you kind of needed to know what it is. Like, it just gave you space to sleep. It gave you space to not do so much. It gave you space to kind of reflect. And may, I think a lot of people, and what's really important, you know, I have a friend who had a, a room for her own shoes. Like, she had a separate room for her shoes. And I, and I just talked to her recently, and I was like, she's like, downsizing. I'm like, what about your shoes? She's like, what I really realized in my pen at the, during the pandemic is that you don't need as much and you don't, it's not as important. And I mean, this, I, I love her to death, but she was taking 27 pairs of shoes on a you know, four day vacation. And um, so I think that's a good way to see how the pandemic is changing, how your attitude, I'm not sure about changing your career. I mean, maybe it lets you see what career you want, and it changes what you think is important about your career. So maybe you can attain that goal after the pandemic. Because right now, I'm not sure how many new jobs or new opportunities. But I think, again, it's an internal reflection time. So it's a time to see, are you happy in your career? Are you, what is it that you want? What is it that you're going to be, you know, okay working with? Or what are the guidelines that work for you? Because everyone's so different, you know, some people, and there's nothing wrong with wanting things. Let's say I want to make money for 10 years because I want a nice nest egg. Nothing wrong with that, you know? So just, just be honest with yourself about the goals that you want. And maybe this is the time to reflect on how, you know, like kind of thinking about that and and clarifying that. Hmm. Speaking of 
those sort of periods of self-reflection, I, I hear in your story these cycles of pauses. What's your take on the, t- the timing of these sort of periodic rests, or maybe rest is the wrong word, but um, taking time to explore and to do the self-reflection work. What's your take on how those sit within the other milestones in your uh, various careers? I, I see I see the how smart and how goal-oriented the young people are today. And I, I, you know, I think it's so admirable. And, and I'm like, well, you can do my job 40 times over and better and, and probably in half the time. But what I think is kind of sad is that there's no, they have to have a reason for something. Like maybe you need to go on a, to Spain, you know, because you want to, you know, get better in Spanish or you want to have a resume or, but I feel like for my generation, my friends in particular, um, we just did things because it was like, oh, I've always wanted to go there or, oh, that place, like, I just want to just go and sit at a cafe and, or, you know, travel and sit in one neighborhood for a week and see what's going on and meet the people. So that was that, I think, and, and all of my friends, we have that kind of spirit where I just want to do this. And that kind of was the reasoning for a lot of these trips. Like when I went to Nepal for, I, I went to Nepal for a month. And the reason I went was because I went to a friend's a dinner and a friend was just came back from Nepal. And I was just like fascinated. And I'm like, okay. So again, I bought a Lonely Planet, which I did not read, which I should have. <laughs> it was really cold in Nepal and I did not have proper clothing. But I just took a Lonely Planet and I just went to Nepal. And that was it. And I spent a month in Nepal and I, I, you know, like it was amazing. But that, and that seems to be more in line with how, you know, my friends and I did things instead of um, having a reason. I mean, the retreats and, and those obviously are different, right? Because you want to, you just need to have a recharge. So sort of zooming to present day. So you've graduated from acupuncture school. What is, what is the near term look like for you? Are you interning at an acupuncture practice currently? I am actually working at a place called 16th Street Acupuncture for two, three days a week. Um, and I actually interned there when I was in school. So she, she also graduated from the school that I went to. And I asked if she needed an intern. I knew somebody else who was also, who knew her. So I started, I interned there for a year. And I was supposed to work with them full-time start, starting in March. <laughs> but then when the pandemic hit, it, she had to downsize. So I, I, I lost a job that I never had. So it was like, I, you know, but then, you know, things are picking up. So I'm, I'm starting to work there part-time. I'm also starting to work at a place called Ohm Center, which is their very nice um, balance of each other. And then, I in, and then I intern with a practitioner who's been you know, in this field for 30 years. So it's a nice balance. You had mentioned finding roots uh, earlier. And so I'm curious, you know, having lived in several places, having traveled to several countries and experienced a few different industries, what do you carry with you? Like, what is root? What does it mean to you to be rooted? Uh, maybe not physically, geographically per se, but just like, how do you stay grounded and, and centered? I feel like wherever you go, I just want to build my community and 
we grew up in a small town working class community. And I feel like that's my roots. My parents were extremely proud of being Korean. And when we first moved to the States, they would not let us speak English in the house. I mean, that they wouldn't actually, when we first came, they wouldn't let us speak Korean because they wanted us to assimilate. And then within a year, our, our, our English was so good that they were like, oh, they're going to lose their Korean. So like, they were like, you're not allowed to speak English in the house. But that damage had already been done. So I think that my parents' influence is very, also very strong. What does it mean to, to be Korean or to have Korean, to have that Korean influence? What are, what are some of the things that your parents wanted you to retain when you immigrated to the States? You know, my dad loves to say that I've done nothing that he's ever wanted me to do. <laughs> um, you know, I think my, my dad wanted my life to be, he wanted me to be a lawyer. And he, and to this, and I fought that every, every step of the way. So I refused to do anything that would remotely go into being a lawyer. And, um, and he, he just wanted me to be happy. That was at the end of the day, but he had an extremely very distinct way of that, what that would look like. And mm -hmm. that would be, you go to school, you come out, you get a job, you keep working at that job, you keep, and then you retire. So that was the, that was the path. And I did none of that. And he was actually very, very upset at me for many years because of that. And so, but now he's like, okay, well, you know, it's, not, it's like, it sounds like you, you, you're, you're enjoying, you actually want to do this as a career. So I'm happy for you. So I don't know what it means to be Korean, except for the fact that you should eat lots of good food and, <laughs> and maybe drink soju because Koreans love to drink and they love to have fun. Um, but the, what, what my parents envisioned for me and it was nothing that I did and that's okay, but it was many years of um, a little bit of a friction mm. and, and maybe that's, that's okay. Cause and I learned that from my dad because my dad also came here and he, his father didn't want him to come here and his father was not happy with how, you know, he wanted him to stay at home and, you know, he wanted to be close to his grandkids and, you know, so maybe I am my dad. <laughs> you know, I love what you're saying that parents want their kids to be happy, but perhaps they, their guidance or their advice is geared towards a very specific hypothesis of what will generate that happiness. So uh, what would you tell parents that, that want their kids to be happy, but they don't want to enforce a particular path on them? Like nowadays, if you have one career, it's very odd to work in one company. Like that's my parents' generation and maybe your parents' generation. But that's not an advice that would make sense for somebody who, you know, who's young now. Please just, please stay in one career for the rest of it. They would, that just would not, that would not work. So I think it really is listening to them about what it is that makes them happy and not what you think is going to make them happy. It's really hard. I mean, it's a constant battle, even with, you know, I mean, you do it with everyone, your partners, your friends, you're all like, oh, what, we know what's going to make you happy. Like we know because that's what makes me happy, but that's, that's nothing to do with them. And I think separating that is the most difficult and, but the most important thing to do.
as long as you understand why you're doing it and you understand that it's not going to be easy and you under and but you really think this is gonna this is what you need in your life i think you should go for it Thanks for listening. Escape of Velocity is hosted and produced by me, Kevin Sawyer, and presented by Modern Word Shop. Modern Word Shop helps startups and entrepreneurs make their words work harder through a full range of writing and editing services. www.modernwordshop.com. And yes, that's Word Shop with a D. I hope you're feeling more inspired to break through the inertia of the everyday. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider sharing it with a friend. Until next time, aim high and don't let gravity stop you. Thank you.